Okay, Psalm 77. You notice the opening for the choir director according to Judithan. According to Judithan. Now, Judithan um, Judithan I spelled it right. No. Jedithan. Is it But anyway, he's mentioned in the opening Psalm 39, Psalm 62, and here in 77. I think those are the three Psalms where his name appears in the head. And also a mention appears in 1 Chronicles 16, 40 and 40, 41 and 42 among the temple singers and in 25, 2 Chronicles 25 verse 1. So Heman, Judithan, you know, Asaph, those families mentioned together. Uh, so for the choir director, according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. And again, as we've stated, all the psalms from 73 to 83 have this name Asaph there. But, but this is a pretty easy psalm to outline. Sometimes I put up an outline of these psalms. Sometimes I don't. This is pretty simple, but pretty easy. 77, 1 through 10 is a lament. 77, 11 through 20 is a statement of praise. Now, in a lament, you have the difference between an individual lament, a person pouring out their grief in times of crisis, and a national lament, where it is a community pouring out their grief. I would ask you as we read these verses, verses 1 through 10, which this is, personal or national? And we want to read the lament portion. We're going to comment on that. Then later we'll see the lines of praise. But let's look at verses 1 through 10. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Selah. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my mouth, my heart, and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? Will He never be favorable again? Has His loving kindness ceased forever? Has His promise come to an end forever. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he, he in his anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, it is my, it is my grief 
that the right hand of my God has changed. Now, the question I asked earlier, individual lament or national lament, and why would you give whatever answer you give? Which would it be? Personal. I think it looks personal. Okay, it's personal or individual? Individual, yeah. And you would say that, David, because of... A lot of eyes, uh, as opposed to we. Okay. Yeah, it is first person singular versus first person plural. It is I instead of we. And, but it's what's interesting, one of the reasons I make a point of that, and I know that's obvious after you read it, but in this third book of Psalms, which is Psalms 73 through 89, this has several psalms of national lament. While it has psalms of national lament, this is an individual lament. But maybe it is placed where it is placed because here the feelings it expresses of the individual express the mood of the nation as a whole. Maybe it is tied closely to that. While this is an individual lament, it is really at home in this section filled with grief and filled with pain. My voice rises to God. And I will cry aloud, my voice rises to God and He will hear me. He's confident that God will hear in verse 1, but it seems to be the case within this psalm that, that God has not heard. In verse, in verse 1, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Now, a lot of the psalms go into great detail describing the dilemma the psalmist is in. A lot of the psalms go into great detail describing the enemies the psalmist face. This psalm doesn't mention the enemies at all. And the only specific about the difficulty he faced is right here. Right here in verse 2. In the day of my trouble. That is as extensive as a description of his dilemma as he gives. Now, it seems to have been a very serious dilemma. But he doesn't go into great distress describing it. One writer stated that his greatest dilemma doesn't seem to be the distress per se, but the fact that God doesn't answer him in the distress. That God is silent in the distress. And while God promised people in many circumstances that if they cry out to me, I will hear. He has cried out to God and it doesn't seem that God has heard. He's confident God will in verse 1, but, but the confidence doesn't seem to have been met by circumstances. And he says, I saw the Lord. Now some of these words like in verse 2, in the night my hand was stretched out 
Uh, The word stretched out, only used a few times, difficult to translate. But I think one of the things you see here is it mentions the day. Verse 2 mentions the day. Verse 2 mentions the night. This is a perpetual, this is a continual prayer that he is offering to God. He is persistent as he's crying to God, but he says, my soul refuses, it refuses to be comforted. Now, the word for comforted, is the same word used in Psalm 23 and verse 4 where your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But while he received comfort from God in God's presence in Psalm 23, 4, in this specific case, he receives no comfort. And another passage that several writers compared to this Let me see if I can read it and you can just guess who this is. All his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Uh, Yes, Jacob. I almost told y'all no Joseph, (laughs) but it's Jacob. (laughs) Y'all were right. Joseph is the one he's mourning over. Jacob is the one who is doing the mourning, but yes. And he says, I will go down to Sheol in mourning, but he refused to be comforted. Same words here. In Genesis, that was Genesis 37, 35. He refused to be comforted. And you see the same kind of thing. In verse 3, when I remember God, I am disturbed. Now, the word remember is going to be a key word in Psalm 77. Psalm 77, verse 3, it's in verse 6, and it's twice in verse 11. He remembers. And when I remember God. Now usually in the Psalms, when the psalmist remembers God, what's the response? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Or I mean, usually it's comforting, isn't it? It's, 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 it's part of the solution. But in this particular case, it's not part of the solution. When I remember God, he says, I am disturbed. I am disturbed. Now, the word that is used here for disturbed in this particular passage is used also in Psalm 45, uh, verse, excuse me, Psalm 42, verse 5. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you, uh, I think it says, in distress, O my soul. You remember that passage? It was used in Psalm 42 verse 5, Psalm 42 verse 11, Psalm 43, I believe, verse 5 as well. You can look up, and when one of you gets there, if you want to read that, uh, do you have it, Jason? You're looking like Psalm 42 verse 5. How does it read? Why are you in despair, O my soul? 
And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Despair is our is our word. Okay. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And that refrain repeated in forty two five, forty two eleven, and forty. Uh, is it forty three five or forty three two? It's forty three five. Okay. But it's the same word here. But this is not the usual response. To remembering God. And and why would he say that? Why would he say. When I remember God. I am disturbed. Why would he say that? And he says. When I sigh. Then my spirit. Grows faint. Now the word translated sigh. In verse 3, in the New American Standard, how's it translated in other versions? Meditate in verse 3. It is translated in most of them, I think, meditate in verse 6 and verse 12. It's the word used in verse 6. I remember, I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart. And my spirit ponders. In verse 12, I will meditate on your work. So the word used here, he remembers, it could be translated meditate, but instead of his remembrance of God and his meditation of God bringing strength, instead it disturbs him and makes his heart grow faint. Verse 4 is the only verse in this first 10 verses that directly addresses God and speaks to God. And it says, You have held my eyelids open and I'm so troubled I cannot speak. Whatever this trouble was as described in verse 2, he cannot sleep and he cannot speak. That shows us the urgency of his crisis. He was robbed of sleep. He was robbed of speech. And he attributes this to God. I I don't find the fact he attributes it to God a statement of unbelief. He believes God rules the world, but he doesn't understand why things are happening the way they are. Now, verses 5 and 6, I think, are important here. He said, I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago, and both of those words are interesting, days of old, long ago, years of long ago. I will remember my song, I remember, will remember my song in the night, And I will meditate with my heart. My spirit ponders. Now, I remember my song in the night. Let's try to construct this here. I don't know where's the best place to to, 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 to construct. But song in the night. In the Bible... What is song often associated with? Let me give you a verse to help you out. <laughs> yeah. If any man is sad, 
Let him no, no, that was that was let him pray. If any man is happy, I didn't quote it right. Any man is happy, he is what? Sing praises. That's James 5.13. Song is often associated with joy. Night is often a time associated with sadness. Uh, like the question is asked in Job 35 and verse 10. When, when God gives us songs in the night, who returns to praise Him and thank Him? We may complain when things aren't going well, but do we thank Him for songs in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of dark times, in the midst of sad times? I will remember my song in the night. So, so I think what he's talking about in verse 6 is a time of joy it is a time of happiness. But this is what disturbs him so. I considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I'll meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. When he thinks of his past blessedness and all the good things that he enjoys, when he contrasts this with the circumstances where he cannot sleep and he cannot speak, he's broken. When he's thinking about God, he's thinking about how God has blessed him in the past and why are things so different now? Now I have to watch myself on what I'm about to say too. When things get difficult, when times are hard, we think back at a time in our life and we, oh, it was blessed then. Are we longing for a closer relationship with God or are we longing just for escape from trouble or problems? And he looks back on this blessed point of his life and things aren't like that right now. And that's why when he remembers God, he's disturbed. Now, let me tie in a couple of other ideas of Job. A passage, passages that are really interesting by their contrast are Job 29 and Job 30. Job 29 and 30. Job 29 talks about how Job was the most blessed of blessed men. He was the most respected of the respected men. He was the one that everyone listened to and everyone paid attention to. But in Job 30, he has gone from being the most respected of the respected to being the lowest of the low. He is the most disrespected of all men. He has gone from great heights. He has experienced great depths. Though this psalm does not go into detail about all of these things, I think the same kind of point is being made. He has gone from heights to depths, from joy to sadness, and he can't believe that things aren't changing. And his questions in verses 7-9, through nine, will God reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has His promise come to an end forever? Has 
God forgotten to be gracious? Or has He in anger withdrawn His compassion? Then, then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Now the Bible says the Lord doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 But it seems like to, the, to David, to the psalmist, that he has changed. And he says, is God going to reject forever? Now this particular word reject is uh, significant uh, in the Psalms. This particular word reject. But, but one of the things, this idea about God rejecting forever, as we see in verse 7, is found in several Psalms around this. Look at Psalm 74. And verse 1, Psalm 74, verse 1. Psalm 74 is a national lament. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Uh, look at Psalm 79, verse 5. Psalm 79 and verse 5. The Bible tells us there, How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? doesn't use the word rejected, but it's the same idea, isn't it? God, are you going to be angry forever? And then in Psalm 89... Psalm 89, um, excuse me, let's try 85, 5 and 6. 85, 5 and 6. The Bible says, Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? When hard times come, the clock moves more slowly doesn't it? It seems like time drags on and but when you are blessed it seems to slip through our fingers so quickly. But here as he is suffering will you reject forever? And in verses 8 and 9, he particularly uses some very important words. 77, verse 8 and 9. The text uses the word loving kindness. Loving kindness. Gracious. And compassion. Okay. Now, those three words, there are other key words, but those three words, so, so important. Listen to this passage. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord God, compassionate and 
and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. That is Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. That is one of the most important statements in the Old Testament. I know that from the frequency with which it is repeated. In Numbers 14 verse 18. In Nehemiah 9 verse 17. In Psalm 86 verse 5 and verse 15. In Psalm 145 and verse 8. In Joel 2 and verse 13. In Jonah 4 verse 2. All of these passages give the same basic description of God. This is fundamental to who God is. And here he is asking these questions. I'm sorry if those passages are hard for you in the back uh, to see. If you need to stand up and look at them, if you need to take a picture of them, yes, if you would rather take a picture with me in the picture, that will cost you extra. But, uh, but uh, anyway, these words are fundamental to God's covenant with Israel. And now these are the very things that the writer is questioning about God. God, are you are? Are you who you say you are? Are you who you say you are? Um, this is a profound question. Of course, we know that to ask such questions is to answer them, isn't it? To ask such questions is to answer. Listen to, to these two verses from Lamentations, or these two or three verses from Lamentations 3. You don't. Lamentations doesn't get much airtime even in churches, so I think we got to read it when we get a chance. But Lamentations 3, verse 21. Now this goes to verse 7. The Lord will not reject forever. That goes to verse 7. The Lord will not reject forever. But then in verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness. Excuse me, that's a plural. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. God's loving kindnesses, God's compassions, they never cease. They never fail. Let's do it in the three. Right there. In, in Lamentations 3.32, for he calls his grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant Loving kindness. Now, the Bible emphasizes 
a good passage. He asked God, God, are you going to forget these things? Are you going to forget these things? But in Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says that a mother may forget her newborn child, but he says, God will not forget. God will not forget. To ask such questions is to answer them. God will not forget. But I will tell you how this word forget is used a lot of times in Scripture. Matter of fact, let's go to the next psalm and look at verse 7 and look at verse 11. In verse 7, this is a historical psalm recounting the story of Israel and it says that they should put their confidence, the purpose of this parable is that they may put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. Not forget the works of God. Look at verse 11. When it recounts the history of Israel, it says they forgot His deeds and His miracles that He had shown them. The purpose of this teaching is that they not forget, but what we see in verse 11 is they did forget. And all over the Old Testament, this word is used of the people forgetting God. Can the bride forget her ornaments or a maid, the maids their attire? But my people have forgotten me. Days without number. Jeremiah 2, verse 32. They have forgotten me. They have forgotten me. To ask such questions is to answer them. God's not going to forget. But, have you ever felt that way? Did it seem like God's promises have failed? failed? That God has forgotten? Now, I think it's amazing that our God lets believers raise questions like this in prayer and records it as part of inspired scripture. That is a reminder to us of God's patience and long-suffering to us. That doesn't mean God doesn't give answers to this. He does. And He gives answers to us in this psalm when we experience these things that can give us hope, that can give us help. But He lets the question be raised, which is quite, quite remarkable, really. What thoughts are you having here? What, what questions do you have? Did you? What is, what is the Hebrew word or um, the translation of the word remember? 
as if he had forgotten God and then he remembered God. I, I don't seem to get that that's the way it happened. So, what? Um, I, I think, like, in a sense, some things that he's saying contextually, Vicki, where he uses it, which the word is not really a dramatic word in a sense that um, um, in, in this context, I think in verse 1 he talks about crying out to God, raising his voice to God. In verse 2, seeking God and stretching out his hand to God. All of these are part of remembering God. And, and so as he's turning to God, for his answer in this crisis. Um, now, it, it, that would be a good question for us to continue when we go to Psalm 78 because it does emphasize those themes of forgetting that we've already mentioned and contrast them with remembering. When God remembers, God acts on someone's behalf. Like God, you know, when Hannah prays for a child, you remember that? Yes. And it says, the Lord remembered Hannah, 1 Samuel 1.19, and she conceived. Uh, or the children of Israel cry out to God, and God heard their prayer, heard their crisis, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25. So the word remembering carries um, in this context just significance that he's turning to God, looking to God, seeking God and God toward us that he's beginning to act on our behalf. Okay. David? Verse 10 in the ESV reads a fair amount different. Yes, go ahead and read it. Standard. It says, Then I said, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Okay, depending on how a translator, a commentary, uh, believes that should be translated, some will, David, put this lament section from 1 to 9 and believe that 10 is the turning point. That is kind of what the ESV would do. That's kind of what the is. It would kind of be like from 1 to 9 and 10 to 20 would be to pray. The New American Standard, the way it's worded, it makes 11 more the turning point. And, uh, and I saw people arguing it both ways. Um, and um, it was, it uses some terms. Um, as I remember, let me see if I see what notes I made about the frequency with which some of these words appear, and that made that was part of the thing. Um, now read, read read that again in the ESV, David. Uh, then I said, I will appeal to this to okay. the years of the right hand of the Most High. Okay. Seems like it uses the word. Instead of the word Greek. Yes. And this word. It's a pretty significant difference. Yes, I grant that. I agree with you. Um, I, I got Which some. Is more okay, I got some passages where this word grief is used. Okay. 
For example, this word is used of Amnon in 2 Samuel 13, 2, when he made himself ill in lusting for his half-sister Tamar. It is used later in 2 Samuel 13, verses 5 and 6, where it says Amnon pretended to be ill. As I looked down, I thought I had written down, David, more verses than that. But, but in that passage, and of course, I, it was not a frequently used word, but it was used much more frequently than that. So it doesn't pr- produce a full representation. Just on that basis, David, I would favor the New American Standards type translation. But I, I, I need to go back and look at the other verses and what, what, how they, uh, how they use that term. Yeah, Strong's. Uh, I've got something here. Looks like it's translated sick a lot, be weak, grievous. I thought I thought for a moment we had an ice cream man. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. so looks like it is translated sick the most of anything. Okay. Okay. So so it would that might be why it seemed like more of the commenters I was reading focused on eleven as the turning point. Okay. So but but that's a very good question, and, and I'm. Sorry, you know, you provide as much light as I have, but thank you for that. Uh, what, what else? But, yeah, but that does make sense, depending on where you put the yes. grade. Yeah. I, I can see that. <coughs> any, any other ideas? Yes. The fact in verse 6 that he has songs to sing, to praise God, um, make 7 and 8, like act like he's expecting a no answer to this. Oh you yeah. Know, well, God. Oh, well, you think has you his think love and favor ceased? I, it seems like because he has something with which to praise God, he's recognizing that. You know. Yeah. It will I, not last forever. This will happen again. I, I can understand what you're saying. I do think in the psalm as a whole, that is the answer. You know, that, that, yes, that, that obviously, of course, that is the answer. I, I think at the moment, though, that he is contrasting his glorious past with his painful presence, present. And, and as he makes that contrast, to him it seems like these things have been forgotten. And, um, but one of the things that's interesting that I just mentioned in passing is... You see in verses 1 through 10, the only time God is directly addressed is in verse 4. But but beginning in verse 11, with what we have called the praise section, he's going to address God in second person all the time. And, And in verse 14, he even uses the special second person personal pronoun. But, but let's read the words of 11 through 20. I want to ask you too if he's referring to one specific event. And I think he may incorporate others, but, but he seems like to have more emphasis on one than, than, than the others. 
what is that one specific event that would be in, in mind? But in verse 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. I shall remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on the work on, on your deeds. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Salah. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed like here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, like I said, he uses second person all through this. All through this, in verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. In verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. You made known your strength. In verse 15, you have, by your power, redeemed your people, etc., etc. He turns to God, not just crying out for his problem, but in contemplation of the great things that God has done. He contemplates the great things God has done and this makes him look at things differently. Now, some of this is subtle. One thing isn't subtle. Uh, but what event would this refer to if, if we want to take one major event? It was what? The Red Sea. The Red Sea, yes. And you say that, why, Vicky? Uh, your, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footsteps were unseen. Okay. And in verse 20, you led your people by yeah. Moses and Aaron. In, in Moses and Aaron, particularly Moses and Aaron, that's a, it's a dead giveaway. But, but as, as, as verse 19 says, when he mentions the sea right before that, I mean, that's an indication that that's the Red Sea as well. And, and then, of course, that ties into verse 16. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you and were in anguish. And we're going to find out, we're going to write down the verse in a moment, but it's in Psalm 114 as well. And, and then look back in verse 13. It says, What God is great like our God? Now, the first time that question's asked in the Bible is Exodus 15, verse 11, after they crossed the Red Sea. So this is particularly highlighting the exodus from Egypt. What is the answer to the fact that his sleep has fled from his eyes and he cannot speak because he's filled with trouble? What is the answer to the question? Will your loving kindness and compassion, uh, are they forever gone? What is the answer to that? The Exodus is the answer to that. Now I want you to think about that. And I want to come back to that. 
I want to come back to that. This word remember, though, the word remember, I think I've, I've got it, I've written it up there somewhere before. Yeah, here it is. Remember was used in verse 3, verse 6, twice in verse 11. Same word. Now, before the mem- remembering God made him more disturbed because maybe his remembering God cried out to God. He's focused too hard on his changed experience. When he needs to focus as he does here, on God's deeds, focus now. He remembers his wonders. He remembers his wonders. He remembers his deeds. He remembers the things God's done. There's a reason. The Bible keeps referencing the Exodus in it over and over. There's a reason the Bible tells the story of God delivering Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib three times. Because those statements are a statement to us forever about who God is. That can give us hope, give us strength, give us comfort. Remember his deeds. Remember his wonders. And here in verse 12, he meditates on God's work and muses on his deeds, just like in verse 3. I sigh. That word sigh, verse 3, translated meditate in some of your versions, but it's translated meditate. Same, same Hebrew word used in verse 3 is used here. He's, now he's not just remembering his past condition. He is remembering God's works and God's deeds, a reflection on God, a reflection on who He is, a reflection on what He has done can sustain us. In verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. It's holy. Who is like you? Oh, I love that question. Who is a God like you? And as we stated, that is used in Exodus 15, verse 11. We've seen it used in Psalm 35 as well. But who is like you? In verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. Same word for wonders used in verse 11. You work wonders. You've made known your strength. You've redeemed your people. Now, when the word redeemed, it is often used in the book of Isaiah of God delivering His people from the the, uh, Babylonian captivity, but it is also used of the Exodus in Exodus 6, in verses 6 and 7. It 
is used of the Exodus. And so usually when it, ha- when it happens before Babylonian captivity, that is the event under discussion. Remember if a person became too poor in the family and he needed to be brought out of slavery, uh, the, the one who brought him out was a redeemer. He redeemed him. And here you have, you have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. Then in verse 16, the waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The waters saw you and the waters are personified as being terrified of God and running away. Um, now, Mike, I, I, for some reason I've got a vague memory that you might have taught that when we were in his psalms. Because when you teach this psalm, the psalm, what psalm uses this? Was it one, one eleven? Okay, one fourteen. One fourteen. You might have taught one eleven. I don't know, but I was. I think it's one fourteen, verse three and verse five that use this language there of the Red Sea and the Jordan. And here I think particularly of the Red Sea because with all the things connected. Now if this, if the Exodus is front and center here, let me ask you the significance of these verses. In verse 17, the clouds poured water, the skies gave forth a sound, your arrows flash here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Now, one, God is pictured as a warrior. And lightning is pictured as an arrow of God. God's a warrior. The lightning is his arrows. But um, looking at this passage, what event associated with the Exodus might this tie to? Mount Sinai. Okay. Could be Mount Sinai. That's right. That's a very good point. The, the earth shaking. That's a very good point. Exodus 19. That wasn't really what I was thinking of, but that's exactly right. Exodus 19, about verses 18 through 25, and Exodus 20, you see the same thing about verses 18 through 21. I was thinking the plague of hail. That was what I was thinking of particularly. The plague of hail. The Bible often emphasizes the lightning and thunder with that plague in Exodus 9. Verses 13 through 35. So it mentions the plague of hail, the lightning, and um, thunder with it. So it could be both of them are incorporated here. But, but, but God, throughout the plagues, throughout the appearance of Israel at Mount Sinai, shows that He is God and that He is able to control these things. And as Vicky was mentioning as well, your way is in the sea, your paths in the mighty waters. But 
What's the next statement mean? Your footprint may not be known. What's that mean? Your footprints may not be known. David? What I get from that, their footprints from crossing the Red Sea were going to be washed away when the waters came back. That's Okay. That's what I think of. And that is certainly true. The only difficulty I would have with that is it seems like that's addressed to God. To me. Because it's God who's walking in the sea. And your footsteps may not be known. Micah, you just thought? You mentioned earlier that Perhaps the, the source of, of this plight, this crisis, is the silence of God, that, that, that the author is not hearing a response. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps being mindful of the fact that God's footsteps exist, we just may not see them. Yes. Here is a passage that ties with that idea. Okay, This is Job 26. Verse 14. Behold, though these are the fringes of his way, and how faint a whisper we hear of him, but his mighty thunder, who can understand? Job 26:14, and what that's saying is that God in all his glory is beyond our ability to grasp. Moses was told when he asked God, show me your glory. He said, no man can see my face and live. I will cover you. I'll put you in the rock. I'll cover you with my hand. You will see my back parts, but you will not see my face. For no man can see my face and live. And the Lord went on to reveal himself and said, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Same verse we referred to earlier. That's what, the God, that's what God revealed of Himself. God in all His glory, we cannot see. We see only a faint whisper of God's ways. We see Israel crossing the Red Sea, but in a sense, God leading them across. His footsteps are hidden. They're not known. God's greatness and God's power is beyond our ability to grasp. But we will one day see a greater glimpse of that than we do now. And it says, you have led your people like a flock. God is often compared to a shepherd in the Psalms, the people to a flock. And they're led by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But I was speaking... Uh, a couple different places this past week. One at a church in Bowling Green, another at a preacher's study. And in the preacher's study, I, I was struck with Zechariah 14, which was my assignment in a study of Zechariah to talk about. When God is describing that picture, that picture, it says... It describes judgment on the disobedient nations 
in terms of the plagues on Egypt. Just like Revelation 8 and 9 do in the opening of the sounding of the trumpets or Revelation 16 with the pouring out of the bowls of wrath. It describes judgment on the enemies of God in terms of the plagues. We can look back at the plagues of Egypt and that is a statement for all people for all time the consequences of disobedience. And we can look back on God's deliverance of His people in Egypt. And we can remember that in spite of the fact we may be slaves, in spite of the fact we may be oppressed, in spite of the fact we may be mistreated, ultimately, God will give us victory. Victory is assured to God's people via the exodus. Defeat for the enemies of God is assured. What we must do is humble ourselves before God and make sure we are His people and He is our God. But the psalmist, there's no indication in this psalm that his circumstances have changed. But his perspective has changed as he lets the work of God become the foundation of his thinking. Think about that. Any questions on the rest of those verses or comments that you would like to share? I do think that's profound. And I won't tell you this idea has helped me the last few days as I've been looking at the psalm. Now, what do you all see about how Jesus fulfills Psalm 77. What do you see? I know that I could have looked at this more deeply and researched it in more detail. I need to probably look up I need to look up some more of the words of the Septuagint. Um, let me tell you one that you probably wouldn't notice. In 77.5, he says, when I considered days of old. Days of old, years of long ago. Now he uses two different words here. This word for of old is also used in verse 12. 
in verse 12, no, excuse me, verse 11, where he thinks about God's wonders of old. The word long ago in verse 5 is also the word translated forever in verse 7. But I want to tell you another place these two words are used together. Now, when he's talking about them right here, when he's talking about these two words right here, he is talking about a long ago period in his life. But they're used in this verse too that I know you'll recognize. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That passage in Micah 5 2, which is talking about the birth of Jesus, and the New Testament interprets it that way, in Matthew 2, verses 5 and 6, these passages about Jesus, they mean something different about him than they mean in this context about the psalmist. When the text says that his goings forth are from long ago and from the days of eternity or the days of forever, that means more than just that he is old, but that is a statement about the eternity of the Son. There are places in the Old Testament this, these two words refer to events within time. And there are places in the Old Testament that these words refer to eternal things. Micah 5 2 is one that speaks of his eternity. So Jesus fulfills those words a lot deeper sense. Could Jesus, though, in some ways have said, You have held my eyelids open, and I'm so troubled I cannot speak. Was there ever a longer night that any person endured than the night? between Jesus' condemnation by the Jewish authorities and his mockery and spitting and the day of his crucifixion. <clears throat> if you have spent sleepless nights for your loyalty to God, Remember, God has spent sleepless nights because of His love for you. Okay. 
I'm going to set myself up for disappointment perhaps here. In one of my lessons on Matthew, I invoked Psalm 77, 19. How sure, like, this is an easy question. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters and your footprint may not be known. Now, I'm not expecting you to remember every verse I mentioned in the sermon. Only half. <laughs> but what sermon on Matthew you think it would have been likely that I use that verse in? Walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water. And his paths are in on the sea. And that is in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Mark chapter 6, 45 through 52. And interestingly, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, not in Luke, but John 6, verses 16 through 21. Jesus walking on the water. Now, something else. You remember when Jesus was in the boat asleep. Not the same miracle, but a similar miracle. When Jesus was in the boat and they thought they were sinking. Do you remember the question they asked? Now, this is only in Mark. But in Mark, they ask, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Doesn't that sound like has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his, promise, has, his, has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger withdrawn his compassion? Isn't that a similar question? And the answer is more dramatically and more immediately no. But that's an indication that that's God's answer to the question, isn't it? That's God's answer to the question. God hasn't withdrawn these things. God hasn't ceased to be God. Now, what else did you all think of? Verse, verse 20 is, uh, uh, you led your people like a flock. Okay. Jesus is a shepherd. Okay. Jesus, the good shepherd, John 10, 1 through 18. He is the chief shepherd. Hebrews 13, or no, Hebrews 13, 20 says the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, verse 4. So, yes. Wasn't that Jesus that was the cloud in the fire pillar also? Aren't there verses that reference him as being that? 
the cloud and the fire pillar leading them. It says that he is the rock in the wilderness. I think that's what you're thinking of in First Corinthians ten, four. Uh, the, the the rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. Would that probably be true? <laughs> uh, you know, from from the fact that he's the rock, may he also be the pillar that guided them uh, in the wilderness. Yes, but it's more specifically said, Gary, about the rock, unless I'm forgetting a, a verse. Um, but that's but that's a good that's a good thought of God. But God is leading them, no doubt through the wilderness, through the process. Um, what else do you all see? About verse 15. You by your power redeemed your people. Yes, that's right. You know, God's re- redemption, Christ is viewed as redeemer in 70. Uh, Christ is redeemer in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Colossians uh, 1, um, verses 13 and 14. Christ is Redeemer. Yet very much. That, that's, that's an idea that, that we find. But, but think about this too. If the Exodus could be such a cause of comfort to these people, we live after a greater exodus in Jesus. Jesus' death is compared to an exodus in Luke 9.31. That's Luke's account of the transfiguration. In Luke's account of the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And they spoke of his exodus. His deliverance from Egyptian bondage. I mean, excuse me, they're talking about they're talking about his death, but God, through the death of Jesus, is going to bring a greater deliverance than deliverance from Egypt. He's going to bring deliverance from sin. Okay. David. Uh, verse one, my voice rises to God, I will cry aloud, my voice rises to God, he will hear me. Uh, Certainly Jesus in the garden yeah. raised his voice to God. And Hebrews 5, 7 says it was, it was heard. Yes. Yes. It was heard. Mary? Um, his works and deeds making known his strength with Jesus' miracles. Okay, good. Um, good. 7, 12, 14 in there. Yes, the works... It's 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. His works, his deeds. His wonders. His wonders in verse 14. Yes, good point. The miracles of Jesus. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Made known his strength among the people. Yes. Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah. It 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 uh it it's in verse is that verse fourteen? Yeah. Yes, verse fourteen is the same. It's the it's it, it really really what we should probably put here is eleven through fourteen. His works, his deeds, his miracles made known his power among the people. All of these things show us the glory and grandeur and greatness of God.
But those are good thoughts. Um, let us stand in awe of Him. Let us stand in awe of what He's done. When the burdens of life are oppressive, so much so that we are led to ask the questions of verses 7 through 9 and ask, Has God forgotten me, Grace? Let's remember what God has done. Thank you for your thoughts, for your ideas. And um, uh, Bob, would you want to lead us in prayer? Our Holy Father, we, we praise You and we give You glory. We have few words that would describe what who You are and what You are and all that You have done for all mankind over all the time that has passed, Father. Your goodness and Your majesty is beyond our comprehension. The one so great, one so awesome and powerful would love us incomplete people with such fervor and with such depth. And we, we marvel at this, Father, and we, we pray, oh God, that we would lay hold upon the understanding of your intention for us that it is not in you that any of us would be lost. But each beating heart will be in your presence throughout eternity. We know, Father, that's what you seek. Help us, O oh God, to cleave to that and better understand the immeasurable price that you have paid to get us to see your heart for us. Thank you, God, for this psalm that we've studied tonight. And it, Father, like all the psalms, are replete with you and with your Son and with your intention for all of us. Help us to lay hold on it and to share it not only with each other, but to the, the world around us. Heavenly Father, for you love each one as you love us. Give us understanding and a fervor, Father, for your word. And help us, Father, to vanquish our love for this world. For it is passing away quickly. We long to be with you, God. Help us to be the kind of people you would have us be. That when we're looked upon or listened to, you will hear your words and see the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in us as we live uh, before the eyes of others. Thank you for our study tonight. Thank you for every heart that's gathered here this evening to draw closer to you. Help us, O oh God, to be all we can be for you. And all that by your grace and mercy. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you all.